The blueberry industry is like no other. Passionate, resilient, and innovative. This podcast is your source for the latest information on the production, markets, research, and technology related to blueberry production. This is the business of blueberries. Here's your host, president of the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council, Casey Cronquist. Welcome back to another episode of the Business of Blueberries, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to the blueberry industry. Quick reminder before we get started to register for this fall's virtual conference and expo that's happening at the end of this month. This is a great chance for you to join our leaders from around the industry, from the comfort of your own home or office. That's happening September 28th through October 1st. Registration, thanks to our sponsors, is completely free. Just head over to blueberryevents.org to register today. Well, today I have back with me my trusty co-host and committee chair of our Innovation and Tech Committee, Mr. Rod Cook. Rod, when you think about the virtual conference that we're putting together, I mean, what are you looking forward to seeing or experiencing? What, what's inspiring you about the conference ahead? Well, I think, you know, the, the key here is that it will be our first attempt at virtual. And of course, as an innovation and a technology committee chair, I uh, really like to embrace how our industry is utilizing these new technologies. I mean, obviously being forced into this, but by the same token, what will happen is it will open our industry up to a world of viewers and a whole lot of growers who normally just can't even afford the time or the cash sometimes to go to the various locations. So, you know, I, I think you're already seeing this. We've got a much higher registration number already than we would get for our usual presentation. And then interweaving tech part and all of these other people that you've got, some big big name professionals uh, that are up on your website. We're drawing a lot of attention from outside the blueberry industry, and we will be able to share a lot more information with our growers. I really am excited about what we're seeing in terms of the response to the program, which has just been recently published on the website, blueberryevents.org. But you're absolutely right. I mean, we're seeing you know, a doubling of what normally would be our audience. And I think that might actually go further as it gets closer and people kind of see the kind of concurrent sessions. And really, I'm hoping people come because they also expect to have some fun. I know the two-dimensional Zoom is not the ideal space for maybe networking like we did with the other in-person events. But man, we have packed this thing up with things that I think will connect dots and, and connect people. And uh, I'm really excited about it. So Again, if you haven't registered, please take a moment to do so. We've got some great, inspiring keynotes each day. And again, I want to just thank our sponsors for helping us bring all that time and attention to uh, what is going to be a great week together. All right. Well, Rod, why don't you kind of give everybody a, a setup or some insights on what we're going to be talking about today? I know what we're going to talk about, but I'm going to let you kind of dig in here because I'm equally excited about what you've set up for today. Yeah. You know, a few uh, sessions ago, we talked with Oxbow and uh, with Grower in the Northwest. And this is all big over-the-row things. And one, one of the complaints we often get when we start talking about technology and application to agriculture is, yeah, yeah, it's all, all great, but it, you know, I can't afford that stuff. I've got a, a small farm. And a lot of blueberry farms are smaller. And you've got a lot of areas and a lot of varieties planted that really don't handle the over-the-road type harvesters, even with some of the soft technology that Oxbow had explained to us. 
So today we're going to kind of go in that other direction and we're going to talk with both a grower from New Jersey, but we're also going to talk with a robotics company that has been working on this very issue, how to increase the efficiency of your hand pickers in the field. So we're not having to go over the top. We're not having to beat the stuff. You're still going to use your pickers, but here's some technology that can make that labor more efficient. And of course, that means net cost to the farm should decrease somewhat by being able to use this kind of robotics. So it ought to be pretty interesting. All right. Sounds great. But before we dive any deeper with things uh, with Paul and Charlie at Burrow, it's time for our crop report. These are recorded each week to get a sense of what's happening out in the field. There's always important information to be shared and plenty of personality to go with it. So here, once again, is your blueberry crop report. It's time now for your blueberry crop report, an update on crop conditions and markets from those in the field. Today, you'll hear from Luis Vegas in Peru, Doug Kramer in Oregon, Brian Sakuma in Washington, and Jason Smith in British Columbia. This was recorded on September 9th, 2020. Good morning, everybody. Luis uh, with the report from Peru. So up until the end of week 36, that is the week, uh, first week of September, Peru has sent a total of 34 million pounds into the U.S. Over the course of week 36, Peru sent 6.7 million pounds, which represents an increase of 28% versus the same week of the previous season. Regarding Peru's total numbers up till this point of the season, Peru has sent 73.7 million pounds into all the, all the destinations that we export uh, today. From these 73.7 million pounds, 46% has been sent into the U.S. As I said, 34 million pounds. Peru's forecast uh, for the U.S. is uh, 193 million pounds, which represents an increase of 33 million pounds. So that's the report from, from Peru. I'm Doug Kramer from Oregon, and we're on the tail end of our harvest. As many people have heard, we have significant wildfires in the area. The smoke and the heavy fire affecting the main part of the valley. And harvest has been over there uh, for most of a week. What is getting affected as uh, evidenced by my operation is the parts of my operation that are closer to the fires. The workers are not able to work only because of the heavy smoke. The fields themselves are fine. And so as long as we can keep the irrigation systems going and keep the plants healthy, uh, we're going to come out of it all right. So really, other than uh, smoke and things like that that are definitely affecting us, uh, those are the biggest impacts. This is Brian Sakuma from the state of Washington. Uh, as noted last week, eastern Washington is pretty much done with harvest. There's a few growers that have some white varieties that are picking a few more blueberries, uh, primarily for the fresh market. Uh, western side of the state, we're harvesting the last call, Aurora, Elliott's. Our farm is in a second harvest on the on the late varieties. And we're seeing a little bit of haze in the mornings and the evenings from not smoke close by, but I think it's coming out of eastern Washington and coming across the mountains. So the crop is pretty much done except for those varieties. 
Jason Smith, British Columbia. We're we're seeing a bit of haze from some of the wildfires too, from Washington as well as uh, in the interior of our province. Uh, it's not too bad, but we're supposed to be up around 32 degrees Celsius today and and tomorrow. Probably going to set some temperature records. As far as harvest goes, I think there's still a little bit of maybe cleanup blue crop left out there. Um, a lot of guys are going through their Elliots for, for the second time. I think a lot of the Aurora first pick is done. And last call, the, the little bit that's out there, I think first pick is done as well. Yeah, so that's, that's kind of where we're at. Hoping it doesn't get too hot here over the next couple days but but we'll see how it goes thanks as always to our growers who take time even in the middle of harvest to participate in these crop reports the group has a lot of fun recording them and from what i've been hearing from our audience rod that they are the highlight of our listeners so that's it rod let's go ahead and start diving into our featured conversation today you bet well i said we had a grower from new jersey we've got a family operation from New Jersey, Paul McRae. Paul has uh, second generation and he and his brothers, both Nick and Michael, have their three sons also joining them. So three generations of farm, been around for more than 60 years in blueberries in New Jersey. Um, So we've got Paul joining us and I should put a plug in. He's also a member of the tech committee. Notice how I've kind of buttonholed a lot of these guys. So we've got him joining with us, who is looking at ways to improve that efficiency on their farm in New Jersey. We also have Charlie Anderson here from Borough. Borough, I think, is in uh, Philadelphia, isn't it, Charlie? And, and can you give us a little more background? I know you come from a farm like I did, but give us a little background on yourself, but also about uh, your company. Yeah, so I grew up on a 200-acre working fruit and vegetable farm. And for me growing up, I love farming, not so much because I love the act of farming, but more because I love the equipment. It's just the equipment, the tech. And what I hated about my family farm were all of the tasks where you had to get out of that air ride, air conditioned seat and go and do something by hand, you know, whether it's picking, packing, pruning, weeding, anything, anything like that. Um, and so that's been a really, really core driver for me uh, throughout my career. When I got out of business, school, I went to work for a company called Case New Holland which makes a lot of actually mechanical harvesting equipment, um, among other things. And about four years into that role, I really started to see that technology and automation had this huge potential in ag. And at the same time, that larger companies seem very unlikely to do it because most of the demand for automation takes place in fruit and vegetable production, which tends to be relatively small market sizes compared to corn, wheat, soybeans in the Midwest. Um, And so with that kind of inspiration, I quit that job and started a company that is called Burrow. We are based in Philadelphia and most of our customers at this point actually are out in California, but in, in specialty crops, especially. So, um, you know, things like table grapes, blueberries, blackberries, raspberries, those types of things. So Charlie, clearly you come at this both with an ag background, but you also have several degrees from very fancy universities. I mean, I'd really be interested in a little bit about the mentality and how you decided this format and then explain to uh, our listeners a little bit about what this thing does or looks like. Yeah, no, absolutely, Rod. I guess for those familiar with the Disney film WALL-E, WALL-E is a small robot that runs around. It's got arms. It's got, you know, dexterity. It's able to navigate through the world. There's personality. It's able to grasp things, move things, manipulate things. And 
I think that there is a progression today of companies that are building things that will ultimately be akin to Wally, but it's taking place right now. And so our robot is the first step in that progression. The product, again, is called Burrow. It's a autonomous vision-based platform that is people scale. You know, it's about four horsepower, runs about eight miles on a charge, can carry about 500 pounds, give or take. Fits in either 27 or 28-inch wide spacing or 36-inch wide spacing if you're in table grapes. And it uses a ton of computer vision to navigate around. And so uh, if you're in the Midwest and you're a big tractor, you're high up, there's nothing above you. You can use high-precision GPS to navigate around. If you're in a blueberry ranch or a table grape vineyard, you're under the canopy. You can't see the sky at all. There's oftentimes no cell phone reception. GPS is going to be super spotty. And so you've got to be able to perceive the world with computer vision and recognize where can I drive? Where can I drive? Is this a tall weed I can drive over? Or is it a blueberry bush I must stop for? Is it a bucket? Is it a person? All those other things. So a lot of the seemingly basic questions around how to drive around in a crop like blueberries or table grapes are actually quite difficult to solve. And so our platform, again, is a people scale platform sized to help people work more productively today but also expandable over time towards a lot of other stuff as well. And so most of the customers that we are working with right now see this logical progression. They recognize that if we get autonomy into our operation, we might get like a 20 to 40% efficiency today, which is quite significant with labor going to 15 or 18 bucks an hour with it when it's fully burdened. But beyond that, you have a vision-based platform online that can over time be scaled up to do more things. And Separately, just to paint a little bit of a picture in terms of the sophistication, each one of our robots has 12 cameras on board, and they're processing about one terabyte of data per hour of runtime. So, you know, an iPhone is typically like a 256 gig phone, depending on which one you get. We process about four iPhones worth of data per hour that we move around. And all of that processing is necessary to understand here's A, here's B, here's a row. I can drive here. I can't drive here. Um, path planning around objects, uh, and again, kind of going from A to B. And if you have digital train tracks in an area where all the people work, then over time, you can expand to do more things, things like crop scouting, spot spraying, and ultimately pruning, picking, weeding, those other higher dexterity things as well. So Paul, uh, you know, add anything I might have missed as you introduce yourself, but I, I know that uh, one of your intrigues, because you and I have been talking about Burrow for some time now, and one of the intrigues was trying to find ways to keep that fruit fresh and unbruised as it makes its way to market, because you're really focused on fresh pack program. I want to just talk a little bit about just your thought process and, and your farm operations and how robotics seem to be a potential answer for you. Yeah, Ron, in, in New Jersey, we're you know, specifically a lot of fresh pack, and we specialize in fresh pack at our farm, we do about 85% fresh. With that in mind, we're trying to be the most efficient way because of labor costs going up. But it was funny because I got a call from Mario Flores, major right guy, California, he says, said, hey, you really have to see this machine. You got to call Charlie. He's in Philadelphia, catch up with him. And you have to see this thing. I think it's something that could work in your operation. So I, um, I did catch up with Charlie and he came down with the, the machines and and then the first couple of times we came down, it was, it was interesting because the techs were, you know, like, wow, it's really bright out here. And I'm like, yeah, it is kind of bright out here. And they're like, 
and it's kind of hot out here too. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's hot out here also, you know. But there were a couple of things they had to they had to work with right away: the heat and the, the bright sunlight. You know, compared to working in Philadelphia in the parks and whatever, that was interesting. And uh, to see it evolve from where the first couple of times they were here working on it, and now to see him working in California and grapes and how they're helping the efficiency in the grape business. I think we could transfer that into the blueberry business a little bit tougher because we have overhanging branches, not like grapes that are all trellised up high. Uh, so there's things Charlie was working on to kind of get that straightened out. But yeah, I'm interested in trying to get something like that started pretty soon. And I think that'll help our efficiency, especially with the labor force getting smaller. We're going to have to be more efficient with the people that we have. If I understand this right, then Paul, where you're looking to apply this is in that transition of getting the field from the picker. So they're in the rows doing the traditional job that they've done, picking the fruit into baskets or, or buckets or trays. But where the burrow helps you is in transporting that out of the field so the picker can remain there. They don't have to walk to the end of the row and consolidate all this other stuff. Is that the way you're seeing application of the device? Yeah, right. I mean, there's some lost time. We try to keep our equipment close to the harvesters and cut the row spacing down or row length down so they don't have to walk so far. So, you know, it's just like having a machine in the field. As long as that machine can keep working and not unloading, you're making better time and making you more efficient. The borrow could be between, say, four or six people, you know, and then that would carry back to the truck, unload, bring empties back to those harvesters. That's all efficiency related. You keep thinking about all the possibilities. Once we get a platform like Charlie has, this platform, him and I had talked about spot spraying where, that, where the machine could work all night. Spot spraying, if we can make it be able to identify the weeds at night, you know, and then the possibility of maybe an area where it could pick blueberries, you know, almost more like human, where we could do a specialty pack where maybe an export like Noel had talked about in the harvesting where a harvester is not as gentle as it needs to be to export blueberries, but maybe with this burrow, we could find a way to be able to pick these berries more human-like and then being able to export, which, you know, that's uh, on the West Coast, that's what, you know, they're really uh, high in, into that. On uh, the East Coast, not so much because of our weather. I mean, we have a lot more humidity and uh, heat and Charlie hasn't really going well on grapes. I mean, there's so many things you can do with the platform. I, I you know, I talked about even the possibility of making it bigger, heavier, so that we could follow behind a, a, a harvester. And the guys in the back of the machine just throw the lugs on the harvester. The harvester never stops, gets to the end of the row, just goes into another row. And this thing takes the lugs back to the, the truck, unloads, brings empties back to it, one, and another one takes its place. Could that be the future that we're looking at? Charlie, has there been a request to integrate scales into the platform bed or anything like that? You know, so much of our, our crops. I don't know in the grapes particularly, but so many of the other uh, small fruit crops are done on a piece rate where we need to know how many pounds and those yep. kind of things. So how is that yeah. working out? Yeah. Um, so we've done paid trials of their technology in table grapes, blueberries, blackberries, raspberries, nursery crops, persimmons, some stone fruit as well. And so the commercial challenge you run into in all of these individual crops is they're all a little different. And so therefore, they're all pretty small niche things from a market size perspective. And so the appeal of our platform is it's pretty multi-purpose. It's a little farm ATV that runs around on its own and can be used in all sorts of different areas and it carries stuff. So yes, it can be used as a harvest labor-saving device, 
but there are other applications for it as well. Within a harvest process, we describe it as stick and pick with a virtual conveyor belt. That's the feature that we create. So your pickers stay in one spot and they have a continuous flow of empty bandejas coming to them and they are unloading their fruit into those and then sending it back. And there are all sorts of different ways that people track the amount of fruit that people have picked depending on the application. And so in something like blueberries, what we've seen work pretty well is people actually pick into one gallon buckets. The robots are loaded up with empty stackable field totes. The pickers place three of those buckets into the tote and then place a tag off of their belt onto that tote, which then matches them to that respective scan. And the robot is full of cameras. So if you want to, if somebody wants to run around and try to swap tags, it's a really bad idea to do it near a robot for obvious reasons. And I think then beyond that, keep in mind with a platform like this, you have a online computer that is running around in a field to which many other things can be plugged into full of cameras that can do QR scanning and, you know, all of those other things. So if you want to match a picker to a point in the field where something was actually picked, you could quite seamlessly do that. I think your, your last question was relating to scales themselves. We have found that developing a, a reliable scale that can handle the vibration in the field is actually quite difficult. And so what we tend to do actually more of is use computer vision to recognize things. And so if you pick into a bucket that has a set size, you can use a camera to then recognize, hey, this is a bucket that came from this point in time in the field or this place in the field. And then you can, you can use that kind of information rather than using a scale itself. And that's actually cheaper and can be more reliable depending on the operation. I think I'm in part addressing the question. Um, I think the maybe shifting gears from the cool tech to the economic benefits of doing this, at least in table grade production, what we found is on the low end, something like 20 to 25% productivity gains. On the high end, 40 to 45% productivity gains. And so if you have one robot supporting eight people picking and packing, that actually becomes quite significant, especially as that labor cost increases. In blueberries, we've seen some somewhat similar gains, um, especially out in California near like the Delano area where we've done some trials out there as well. I think what you find with people harvesting fruit is you have many variables as you start to talk about benchmarking gains. And so you can't just insert a robot into a process with people in a day and determine, hey, this produces gains. You got to do it over multiple days because you have some high performers in a crew, some low performers in a crew, fruit variability, layout variability. You have to run robots systematically. And so what we see with our system, the way our robots work is you turn them on at the beginning of the day. There's an interface that flashes up. The robot uses computer vision to follow you just the way a dog would follow you. And then you can set points along a map that run from a point A to where a row would start. And the robot's able to say, hey, I'm in a row, go down the row, come back. And so you can very quickly, within a matter of like 30 seconds to a minute, set up a pickup point and a row to go into and have the robot just run that route all day long. Again, kind of like a metronome almost. So it's almost a pacing mechanism as well, or can be. Wow. This is kind of weirding me out. It seems so futuristic that you have, you know, so much already in place to develop the future you seem to already be in. But your passion started on the farm. And then from there, you were already tinkering at that place to do what you're doing today. But then you went to school for this. I mean, where does this 
hyper focus on robotics and that technical knowledge come from? I know, I know you mentioned you had gone to work for Case New Holland, but there's a gap here. I'm trying to understand like you are way down a road, hyper focused. You're bringing a lot forward for the industry. Where'd that come from? Yeah. Uh, to me, growing on a farm creates a certain amount of energy and just like a certain amount of like hustle. You know, like you're on a farm, you got to get what stuff done. It just creates that kind of an energy. And so for me, I got out of undergrad. I don't have an engineering degree. I wish I did, but I grew up tinkering with stuff. I felt that autonomy was going to come to ag more quickly than it actually has. And so working in a large tractor company, you know, you can imagine if you're, if you're a company like John Deere or Case New Holland, you view autonomy as a means of making your larger equipment run autonomously. As stuff becomes autonomous, it's actually going to become smaller and smaller. You're going to pull cabs out of it and you're looking for skills that are not actually held traditionally by a lot of the larger companies. And so when I was within Case New Holland, also looking at other companies in the space, it seemed like they almost had a disincentive to embrace automation. And so that kind of progression led me to this idea of, well, hey, you know, maybe I could build some sort of people following platform that could run routes autonomously. It doesn't exist outdoors. It feels like it should exist. And then uh, I found my co-founding team in Philadelphia and we started raising a little bit of money and building a little bit of stuff. And every time you raise a little bit of money and build a little stuff, you are then able to do a little bit more. And so you're pursuing opportunity beyond resources controlled and getting more and more resources as you show more and more opportunity. So how much yeah, venture so. capital do you have in, invested in Borough today? So we've raised about roughly like $4 million to date. And we're intending to raise more, as you might imagine. I think the scaling of business in these spaces is quite tricky. Because I think farmers, for very good reason, are extremely demanding around reliability, around having stuff when it needs to work. Parts have got to be there overnight. You need support in the field. All of those things are expensive. And then also just building technology like this is quite expensive as well. And so right now we have a team on the ground in California. They are supporting growers running units every single day. And I think the progression we see is kind of triple digit units yep. over the next eight to 12 months. Wow. To do that, you need quite a bit of capital, as you might imagine. Hey, Paul, I wanted to ask a question from a grower perspective. We've heard a lot about the maintenance. And I mean, I think Charlie's right on. I did a survey of equipment for some companies a few years ago. And I mean, a lot of the growers rated the companies more in line with what kind of service they could expect during the season than they did about whether the equipment really was the best operating equipment. From a grower's perspective, price points, I mean, I know it's a little early to understand. I heard Charlie talk a little bit about the kind of range of savings in the table grapes. I mean, without you know, messing up a relationship you've got with Burrow, can you can you describe kind of the price range that you see see this as a value to the blueberry operation? Well, you know, like we had talked about harvesters, you know, sometimes it's priceless. Yeah. I don't want to say that, but some of that stuff yeah. is priceless. One thing that Charlie did say, growing up on the farm, everything that you look at is either has to be bigger, faster, and better. That's how you, you kind of evolve. And Charlie's the same way because he grew up there. He sees, oh, hey, how can I make that better? How can I do this faster? That's the two things that we're always looking at. Like, you know, sometimes you look at a machine, you say, well, how can I make that go faster? How can I sort faster? How can I pack faster? That's all efficiency-based. Harvesting, packing, shipping, it's all efficiency-based. The more efficient you can be, the better your profitability. But um, yeah, I think uh, Charlie's background, I think really helps him in that. Back to the pricing, I'm, I'm not really sure where Charlie's at on his pricing, but like I said, sometimes that stuff can be priceless. You know, and then, of course, you're going to price yourself out if you get to be too high. 
I think he has a good idea where he needs to be, similar to where the color sorters, when they first came out, they sounded like a lot of money. But when we started using like, that's priceless. You can't do what we're doing with a color sorter with hand labor and how that cut us back and how the quality got to be better packaging and everything. So that that's one of those things that Charlie has to look at. And he has that feeling of what's out there. And I think, Charlie, you, you guys are commercial enough that if people are looking to buy these things, you you guys are in the business now, right? You're, this is yeah, a commercial yeah. product. Yeah, so we're, we're in the business. We, we are really, especially in, again, in table grape production. I think what we run into right now is we have a number of customers that are in table grapes that are also in blueberries. Huh. And so, you know, you, you buy our product and you're in table grapes and you're using them from, you call it June to November. And then suddenly you have blueberries kicking off in the spring and, and inevitably that leads to, uh, hey, you know, can we put these in there too? Separately, I think the, the way from an economics perspective, kind of think the cost of like a John Deere Gator, that kind of a thing, that's kind of where we're, where we're aiming for. And then separately from that, there is a, a recurring piece in our case because our robots are online and are being updated constantly and there's a cost that we have associated with that. I think that with a platform initially, uh, you have this baseline autonomy moving from A to B, but over time, we anticipate offering more and more add-ons, if you will, to do more and more things, almost as like uh, field installable kits to do things again, like spot spraying, uh, weeding, you know, those types of tasks as well. Um, So we're kind of viewing this as this is a modular tool carrying platform that starts out as a utility vehicle and over time can do more things. So Paul... I've been to your uh, farm. I, I can see having walked and talked and looked at the equipment you have, you're, you kind of have a tech bent to you. You're kind of unassuming in that character category, but of the growers that, you know, either in your region or around the country, you you have this kind of tech bent. Where's that come from for you? <laughs> That's funny. I guess growing up in the 60s, watching uh, sci-fi and Star Trek and all that kind of stuff, you know, we all, we all saw the robots and we you all thought about that. Could that ever happen? You know? And I think as we see this getting closer and closer, like, wow, this is really like what I saw when I was 10 years old, you know, yeah, yeah. and I can make this happen now. It's re- I think it's really cool. I think it's, it's going to be the future. It's coming faster now that this, you know, the COVID, I think it's made more people aware of what we're going to have to do, you know, in labor situations. But I, you know, I think it, we're in a different mindset right now. And I think, you know, this is going to really move on pretty quickly. Yeah, Charlie, I just thought I'd ask, I mean, we've talked glancingly at using your platform for additional things, spray, spot spray has been brought up, things like that. Is that something you guys are trying to do internally or are you trying to uh, look at working with other equipment manufacturers that can then use your platform to add on? How do you see the future evolving for Burrow? Think about PCs in the 80s. You have companies like Microsoft, companies like Macintosh, and they build a a desktop, a screen, an operating system. They tend to build infrastructure that enables many other companies to use things. And so I perceive that with our platform, and a platform is something that customers buy and other companies might want access to, that, that with a platform like ours, you could have a company that's trying to do autonomous picking or autonomous spraying, or data capture. In fact, we were actually talking with a number of companies that want to do data capture and pull stuff off of our robots already. Um, I think we anticipate trying to be very collaborative with those types of companies because it creates more collective value for everybody, the grower as the customer, 
us as the autonomous platform provider, and then the other company from the data side. And maybe secondly, from that, the challenge with these industries is that each respective crop is relatively small from a market size perspective. And so you need an enormous amount of talent to do certain things within each crop. And so for that reason, I think that what you're going to have is, is companies that are focused on doing things like yields and blueberries, yields and table grapes, digital entomology in certain spaces. And they're going to be taking data off of platforms like ours and then providing that data back to growers in a creative way. And we see our platform being something that enables them to do that. And then beyond that, we do have a number of proof of concept things around you know, things like spot spraying, yield mapping, and so forth. We just know that we can't do it all. Great conversation today, folks. I, I really appreciate it. Paul, obviously, I know you're, you're finished with a crop, but that doesn't mean the work's ever finished at the farm. You're cleaning up, you're putting things away. You're really quite busy. So I want to thank you. I know we've been a long time in trying to get you on the program with the borough. And, and Charlie, obviously, thank you for taking the time. I know you're right in the middle of grape harvest and things are going crazy for you out west. And so I really, uh, I really appreciate uh, your time in coming on. And just once again, thank you so much from the blueberry industry, for myself, Gacy. Yeah, well, well, thank you guys very much. Thanks, gentlemen. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks guys. guys. Appreciate it. Good job. All right. Thank you. Well, Rod, that was a great, great conversation. I, I really enjoyed all that Paul and Charlie had to share, you know, and, and, and we like to do this at the end of every one, but what were your key takeaways from today's conversation? I think I, I've really got two. And, you know, the first is that obviously this is more than a robotics cart. The kind of data that they're collecting offers endless possibilities, I think, as we see software companies and other equipment manufacturers begin to understand how they can use the data that a cart like Burrow is collecting in the field. The other thing I, I come back and I have said many times that GR technology, most of it up to this date has been a farmer is welding torch in his so-called bone pile of old pieces of steel and things behind his barn. Charlie sort of threw me a curve with that because, you know, here's a guy who's invented something and guess what? He is from the farm. And that really helped him understand the real problems and needs, not of making some big, huge, massive thing, but to make something very practical and usable that is, is going to continue to enhance the use of hand labor, which is so critical right now, still for getting bruise-free blueberries from the field to the consumer. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And and I just think that, you know, what we got from Charlie's description of just how expansive and intensive, and I, I think I'm just impressed with what he's dedicated effort towards since the farm to try and bring this technology forward in agriculture in such a uh, niche sort of way. I mean, what he said is true. You know, you look at how specialty crops work generally and what he's trying to develop in specialty crops essentially is really remarkable. And that that kind of technology is here and certainly appreciated hearing Paul's enthusiasm and support for, you know, what I know he has at his farm and what he's always striving for as a, a grower of blueberries. So I just think this was a great one-two punch combination of having, again, your tech influence in our podcast, but bringing together a grower and a technology that really shows where the future can go for a more productive, efficient, and profitable business of blueberries. So if you found this episode insightful, 
I would just ask that you share this with your colleagues or someone else you know in the blueberry industry. The best way you can show support for our show is by helping us spread the word throughout the industry. And, and it's truly our belief that uh, this show is is helping just kind of inspire thinking and, and, and those possibilities that are yet ahead for the business of blueberries. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week with more innovation, collaboration, family, and hard work right here on the business of blueberries. If you can picture this, I'm thinking it's doing all those things that you're describing, and then maybe it comes back to the farm and barbecues for everybody. (laughs) (laughs) That's a weekend, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.